The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on a day when we have a wonderful guest. Uh, please look forward to and enjoy my guest, Paige Hall-Smith. Paige, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Marie. I'm glad to be here. Well, Paige Hall-Smith is the author of Beyond Health Beyond Choice, Breastfeeding Constraints and Reality. I know you're going to enjoy hearing from her because, you know, here's the deal. Everybody has an opinion and everybody's always pushing it as fact. Uh, breastfeeding advocates sing a real litany of benefits and breastfeed that breastfeeding provides. And honestly, you know, critics insist that breastfeeding is difficult and ties you down. And others imply that you're a bad mother if you don't breastfeed. So with so many mixed messages and mixed feelings, it's pretty hard to kind of figure out where you are and what, what you feel like. Do you feel overwhelmed or confused or guilty or just plain crazy? And Paige is here today to help you to get a grip on this. I think you really enjoy her perspective. Paige, tell me about your book, Beyond Health, Beyond Choice. I know that the book grew out of conferences that you and your colleagues have been holding for the last 12 years or so. But how did you begin to nurture this particular slant in the first place? Well, um, I became very interested in understanding why there was a disconnect and um, animosity really between breastfeeding advocacy and feminism. I really came to this area of research and uh, scholarship and advocacy late in my academic career. I had spent a lot of time working on violence against women. And really after my after I gave birth and was trying to breastfeed my daughter um, as a new academic, really I um, had just been um, given an appointment on a tenure track when I, when I gave birth to my daughter. Oh, man. And so then I was struggling, as many of us do, with work and family and motherhood and all the things that come with that. And really became interested, as, since I was a, I'm a feminist, um, why there was this disconnect between breastfeeding and feminism. And so I was fortunate to be awarded the Linda Arnold Carlisle Professorship in Women's and Gender Studies uh, at UNC Greensboro uh, in 2004. And this was an opportunity for me to explore a new area of research and bring people to campus to talk about exciting issues. And I chose breastfeeding and feminism and put together a half-day symposium um, with you know, scholars from around the area, Bernice Hausman, Cheryl Lovelady, and had a lot of uh, lactation consultants coming from across the state. 
And really, it just has blossomed. Uh, uh-huh. It's now a two-and-a-half-day conference. We meet annually. We've been, uh, the Carolina Global Breastfeeding Institute has been a co-sponsor. And really, this conference seeks to bring together a wide range of perspectives, uh, people from all kinds of disciplines. We have um, uh, students, we have faculty, we have pub- uh, lactation consultants, physicians, scholars, uh, um, policymakers, a real range of people that come together to leverage what we think of as an emerging and a relatively new feminist voice around um, breastfeeding um, that's different from what has been sort of a traditional feminist perspective. Mm, Well, you just led me right to my next question, which is, I, I think that this is the next question when you talk about feminism, and that is, We hear a lot these days about, quote, the right to choose. Women have the right to choose who they want to vote for and what color their hair is and whether they get pregnant. And so feminists would insist that every woman needs to have a choice. How does all of that choice stuff fit in with breastfeeding? Well, well, so the book is called Beyond Health, Beyond Choice. And so it really seeks to focus our attention away from just looking at uh, breastfeeding from a health perspective or focusing primarily around the health benefits of breastfeeding and looking at reasons that breastfeeding might be important to us as a society and the different ways of looking at breastfeeding that go beyond sort of looking at the benefits and risks. And it also helps us to think about going beyond a simplistic notion of Choice. Um, choice, of course, has been a, a a word and a concept that's been a mainstay of feminism for a really long time, and people talk about it in terms of women's reproductive choices. Right. And so, this word has been sort of galvan, you know, it's been uh, leveraged into this discussion, but in ways that might um, be harmful to women in some ways rather than beneficial. It has a tendency to lump all women into a category and say we have the same choice. We can breastfeed or we can use formula without really acknowledging the many constraints that women face when they're seeking to try to breastfeed. And so one of the things that we're particularly interested in doing at this conference is looking at what we could think of as the constraints on breastfeeding, the the road bumps and things that women run into when they try to breastfeed that are structural in many ways in our society. And um, think about how we can start to improve these so that women have a better experience as caregivers. I'm intrigued with what you said about the choice being horrible. Uh, were you implying there about the constraints, or did you have something bigger in mind? Oh, I didn't know if I said didn't mean to say the choice was horrible. Um, oh, sorry, I might have missed it. Um, that choice is a simplistic idea. Oh, I see. Right. Uh-huh. It, it says you have a choice to breastfeed or use formula. They're equivalent choices. Um, it's like a, chocolate or vanilla ice cream. That's right. That's right. Um, and it it shapes, it focuses, uh, if we say women have this choice, that it has us look at the individual and the choice that she makes. And then oftentimes we will then um, uh, label that choice as good or bad. 
right? Yeah. We'll say, well, you made the wrong choice or you made a bad choice. And without really taking into consideration the con- the circumstances or the realities of wim- women's lives. And many women today have a very difficult time uh, breastfeeding as much as the, as long as they would like to or as exclusive as they would like to. And there's a lot of common constraints that are in our society that make it difficult for women. Do you feel like, and we'll talk about the book, certainly, but uh, I want to go back to this conference for a moment. The conference has been going on for several years now. Do you feel like at least within that room that you've made some headway? <coughs> I think we have. We've, um, we'll have our 12th conference um, in 2017, March 22nd through 24th. And over the course of these this time, we've done a lot of looking at uh, framing of breastfeeding, this, how we look at the social ecological model in terms of this. We've looked at um, how we can bring a feminist lens to breastfeeding, um, what that might mean even to have a feminist perspective on breastfeeding and what the, that, how that might shape the way we do pr- protection, promotion, and support. Um, we do have uh, three books published now that people can um, get uh, can get access to if they're interested in seeing proceedings from these conferences. The nice. one that you're talking about was from the um, uh, 2000. It was the fifth breastfeeding conference in 2010, uh-huh. um, and we now have two books that are published by Claris Press, and a third oh, yeah. one that's being considered that um, have really come out of uh, more recent conferences. Um, One is called It Takes a Village and the other is Advancing Breastfeeding. And so each of those has 30 to 40 really different um, short papers that come from the conference that are really, I think, accessible to anybody that's interested in looking at this issue more fully. Paige, you talk a lot about breastfeeding in the context of women's experiences and their needs. Uh, I'm eager to hear about this because very often I've seen that women have completely changed their careers. I'm thinking of the people that show up at my course. They have been a teacher or an attorney or a whatever, and they want to be a lactation consultant because breastfeeding has literally changed their lives. Uh, Talk to us about what kinds of needs that women have and what kind of impact breastfeeding has on meeting those needs because I think there's some connection there. Am I right? I'm not really quite sure what you're getting at with that. Um, we all, does, does breastfeeding fill some sort of a need for the mother? Well, one of the things that we can think about from that perspective is that breastfeeding is a form of caregiving. Okay. Um, and it's a, a form of caregiving that can be very pleasurable for women. We don't often talk about this because we don't often like to talk about um, women's pleasure, particularly if it involves their breasts, in the context of infant feeding. Uh-huh. Um, and it might conflict with ideas that we have about selfless motherhood or sort of a Madonna image. But women, many women do enjoy it, and they take a lot of pleasure in it. And if they can get it going right, it feels nice, and they enjoy the intimacy that this brings to their relationship with the child. Um, and another way of thinking about this is that um, breastfeeding is a form of caregiving, a form of embodied care that we might say, and meaning that they use their body that allows mothers to sustain life. And Mm -hmm. Holly Sue Mann, who is a political scientist at UNC Chapel Hill, writes about this in a way that I think is very compelling and interesting for us to think about. Um, She talks about breastfeeding as a form of caregiving that is like friendship. 
in that it's an intrinsic social good that's value before its own sake. Ooh, I like that. She writes that um, friendships provide us with the necessary context to learn how to do well by others. And that caregiving arrangements, and in particular those that arise from the context of child rearing, are valuable because they form an important structure in which we learn other regarding thought and action or how to care for other people. And that this can become an enabling condition in our own life. And so like friendship, breastfeeding builds this relationship between the caregiver and the receiver of the care. And she writes that it's, um, for this reason alone, it's choice worthy because it becomes the context within which we become more fully human. I want to talk more about being choice worthy uh, a little more on the other side of the break or maybe the following segment. I just want to follow up with your comments, though, and say that as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, Shirsten Yuvnis Moberg, who many years ago, I'm thinking it was probably in the early 90s, she said that breastfeeding is interaction and there are three stages. And as you were talking, and uh, I, I was thinking about that correlation, that it isn't something that you just do by yourself, obviously, but rather it's, it's that whole interaction part that makes it what it is. Paige, don't go away. Uh, all you listeners, don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay. After this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And today I'm here with my special guest, Paige Hall-Smith. She is the author of Beyond Health, Beyond Choice, Breastfeeding Constraints, and Realities. Paige, I'm sort of thinking that in our society, from a very young age at least, I felt that I was taught that we, we work, and if we work, we get paid. So we do a job. We generally get paid by the hour. Having been a nurse, I certainly got paid by the hour for many years. Or we got a better job, and maybe we earned a salary. That's great, but breastfeeding is not a paid occupation, and yet, interestingly, it's what most women in the world actually do. Now, some do it not only for their own children, but for others as well, and by that, I mean community milk sharing. At least here in America, working or providing goods or services for someone else uh, for free is really pretty countercultural. We really don't think about it that way. What can you say about this as related to breastfeeding? Well, I think one of the things uh, that informal, well, informal milk sharing is definitely on the rise in uh-huh. the United States. And it, and I think that the rise of social media and the ability of people to access each other through social media is one of the important reasons why it's on the rise. And it speaks, I think, to a couple of things. Um and well, in, but I should just say that informal milk sharing, the what I'm talking about, is where uh, women make don't make their milk accessible to someone else for free. Right? Yeah. So I'm not talking about you know somehow I've paid this. And um, women, um, the, the, some of the research that's been done on this, Anshali Palmquist is is a good example of this type of work. Um, She's found that the people who are interested in this form of milk suffer from a number of conditions that might make breastfeeding difficult. They have low milk supply, other kinds of medical issues. They may be taking um, medications um, that are contraindicated with their own breastfeeding or they may have postpartum depression. Um, people also are interested in this form of milk who may be uh, gay couples, uh, gay men who are not able to produce this for themselves. So it's one of the tools that increasingly people have available to them um, to help them meet their goals of providing human milk to babies. And I think that one of the things this speaks to is how in our culture we do recognize the value of human milk. Um, but this is milk that's not screened by anybody. It's not screened for disease. It's not pasteurized. It's not really within the public health system. And so there's been struggles around um, what we should be doing about this. And people have a lot of different ideas. Oh, yeah. Very controversial. About this. Um, so I think that one of the things that people are talking about is that because it's not regulated or and public health professionals might um, encourage people not to do it, then the result of that is that people might then not talk to their caregivers about it. And so I think that increasingly what people are suggesting is that there are that we need to have within the healthcare system guidelines for helping families find human milk outside of a milk bank so that we reduce some stigma around milk sharing and that we actually help people to find um, good ways of doing that. Um, that said, the, 
an important reason why people give milk to others is this notion of altruism. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, there is, a, generally speaking, a relationship that develops between the donor and the recipient. So it's not anonymous, uh, milk sharing. It's so even though it's informal and it's not regulated, it's usually not anonymous, and it's done in the context of a relationship between the parties that are involved. I think you brought up a number of good points there. As I, as you were talking, Paige, I was thinking you're right. Social media has made it possible for many people to be in contact with many people that they would never have been in contact with 20 years ago, and I think that that kind of explains to me why I'm thinking, how did I not put this together earlier? But yeah, that just makes total sense to me. You are correct. There's a lot of wrangling over whether or not this shared milk is a good idea, a bad idea, no idea, whatever. But you also bring about the other thing, which is, I often tell other nurses, look, when when patients go home, they're going to do what they're going to do. It doesn't matter what we tell them. They're going to do what they're going to do. And you brought up such an important point about educating people so that they do tell their health care providers so that they can do this, hopefully, in a way that is at least less risky. Uh, Is that one of the things that you have on the conference agenda? And have you talked about some specific ways that you can do that? Well, we do have talks periodically on milk sharing, um, and there's a number of... um, articles that are in the literature, I think um, an interesting one for people is one by Gribble oh, from, yes. from 2012, and she yeah. talks about bioethics yeah, she does. and how we can apply our basic understanding of bioethical principles to this kind of practice. Um, and people do find it empowering. Um, both the donors and the recipients um, find it empowering, and I think that that, that empowerment and within a context that makes it as safe as possible is something that we want to be working toward. I think that's a really good word, to make it as safe as it can be and we need to work towards. Sometimes I think that there seems to be like this one camp over here and this other camp over there, and we're not going to make this all neat and tidy overnight. So I think that you raise a really good point there. Talk to us about something that really fascinates me. Uh I did not know the late Chris Mulford very well, although I took a very interesting ride with her one time from the Philadelphia airport to somewhere, don't even remember where, a delightful woman, and we had multiple interactions, although that was the um, most dramatic one, but Chris talked a lot about extreme care work, and she talks about breastfeeding as being quote, choice worthy. And you mentioned that a little bit earlier in the last segment. This is an important concept, I think. Uh, Chris Mulford can't be with us. So can you help us to understand a little bit what she meant by that? Um, She was talking about breastfeeding as a type of care work, recognizing that it does involve women's labor. That it can it involves women's physical body, and it can be emotionally demanding, and um, it does provide protection, food, drink, and comfort by using the woman's body. And she talks about the fact that it's extreme in the sense that it really draws on women's nutritional reserves. It changes our hormone profile. It might affect our fertility. 
our mind, and it has effects on our health. And so, I mean, we know that this is true in the sense that breastfeeding um, or lactating really is a health benefit for women and does have health benefits for them. But that's why she's talking about it as a form of extreme caregiving and is that it, it's not just like changing diapers or taking the baby for a walk. It's something that involves the woman's body. And I think that this, this way of looking at breastfeeding is an important feminist lens for us. Uh-huh. Um, in the past, we've really looked at it. A lot of the public health messaging around it has looked at breastfeeding as human milk, right? It talks about the value of the milk. I agree. And our solutions then are geared towards how do we get the milk to the baby? How do we get this good food to the baby? And we say, well, we need to educate women about the value of the good milk. We need to educate doctors. We need to have pumps, right? So so that women, if they go to work, can still get this good milk to the baby. And so our lens is really focused on what we need to do to get the food to the baby. I think shifting the lens a little bit and, and thinking of this more as a form of important care work extreme caregiving, choice-worthy care, might lead us to ask more questions about, well, what do the caregivers need? Mm -hmm. What does the lactating body need to fully perform this, to fully exist in the world? And then our solutions might be more geared towards helping caregivers and helping the lactating body, which is different from the male body. Absolutely. um, And so that, I think, is an important shift for us because it focuses more attention than we've given in the past, perhaps, to the needs of the mother, to her experiences, and to what she really needs as a caregiver. Paige, I'm taking this all in. My brain is kind of thinking about the good milk. You mentioned the good milk, the good milk, the good milk. And I'm thinking that we've done a really good job of talking about the goodness of the milk for the baby. I don't know if we've done as good of a job talking about the act of breastfeeding. I sort of see those as intrinsically linked and yet unlinkable. That is, the... the Obviously, the baby is getting the milk if he's breastfeeding, but we, we've done a really good job of talking about this goodness of the milk, but as I hear you talking about it, I'm thinking it's almost as though we've treated the milk as a product. Right. Am I following you? Yeah. Yes, and, I think, yes. And, yeah. and really, when it comes down to the mother... We're saying, or you're saying, and I think you're spot on here, that the act of producing that milk actually changes her body, and it changes her hormone profile, it changes her nutritional needs, it changes her psyche, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also that in doing this extreme care giving, the mother herself also deserves care. Am I reading you right there? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And that's historically one of the main feminist critiques of sort of breastfeeding advocacy is that um, there's been this concern that the health benefits of breastfeeding are overstated. But I think that more uh, particular is that there's a sense among some feminists that we overstate, we 
state the benefits of breastfeeding and then therefore women should breastfeed without giving them the support that they need. And what what we're really trying to argue at our conference and, and many other people as well is that what we really need to focus on is not breastfeeding as a constraint on women's lives, but the constraints on breastfeeding and how we can eliminate those and a really important part of that work is to see breastfeeding as a caregiving activity and that caregivers need care. I think you said that very well. Lactating bodies need support in public spaces as well. Amen. Right? Uh, I'm going to cut you off, but I'm going to ask everybody to not go away because we're going to be right back after this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for today where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. I'm here today with Paige Hall-Smith, author of Beyond Health, Beyond Choice, Breastfeeding Constraints and Realities. 
Paige, I want to talk to you a little bit about these realities. You alluded to this a few minutes ago, and I wanted to follow up with it, about how we we talk about the benefits of breastfeeding, the benefits of breastfeeding, the benefits of breastfeeding. I was never all that great on preaching the benefits of breastfeeding to mothers because I'm not really sure that that cognitive information is what's really going to... It might get them to start breastfeeding. I'm not sure that it really helps them in the long haul. Can you address this? Or or do you disagree? No, I I, I agree with you. And I think that it's a lot like most public health problems where or issues where we know that knowledge may be an important first step or as a foundation, but it's simply not sufficient to actually... promote healthy behavior we you know people know not to that smoking is bad for you we smoke we know that maybe you know eating ice cream isn't so good but we do it anyway I mean we know a lot of things um, so I think that knowing that the milk is good that breastfeeding is uh, healthier or less uh, risky than formula which depending on what language you want to choose to use is has been an important first step for us and helping us to um and it actually encourages, I think, people to start breastfeeding, right? It, it, we see high initiation rates in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But then what we see is a, is a significant fall off, um, that there's a decrease in the number in women breastfeeding uh, later on. And most women who are even continuing to breastfeed um, will pump as well as feed at the breast and use formula. So there's a lot of mixed things going on in the way most people are feeding their babies. And they're trying to, they people pump and use formula and breastfeed in order to navigate all the complications and contradictions that they experience when they go out in the world and try to breastfeed. And so what we would like to see is um, more attention paid to the constraints, to the supports that women need once they start breastfeeding and then try to live in the world where they go to work, they go to church, they go to the grocery store, they go out on a date with their, you know, their partner, that they do all these things and somehow while doing all of these things, they still have to meet the demands of lactation, Right, that it's right. that, that right. lactation right. doesn't go away when you go to work. It doesn't go away. You can't just put it on hold, and yeah. and so um, it's not a faucet. You can't turn it on and off. Exactly, and so this yeah. is when we think about well, what does the lactating body need? Right, that women need support in the workplace. They need support in public spaces. They need to be able to breastfeed in public without feeling vulnerable, without feeling un, you know, feeling unsafe, much less being asked to leave. Um, wherever they go. And so, and some women want more privacy than others. It may be a cultural thing. And so we want to ask ourselves, well, what types of supports do women need in communities um, as they go out about living their lives um, while trying to meet the demands of lactation and be this extreme caregiver? <laughs> I, you know, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about, I, I gave a New Year's show, obviously, when it was around the New Year's time, and I was quoting these statistics about how people have other goals, stop smoking, lose weight, whatever. And I was astonished to find some statistics about how many people give up that whatever, that basically that good health practice uh, within two weeks. And so to some extent, as I hear you talking, I'm wondering how when we tell these moms, this is a really good thing, it's like, you know, you do this for yourself, you do this for your child, this is really good health practice, 
but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are able to have enough wherewithal to really make the commitment, stick with it. And oh, by the way, stick with it when they go to the grocery store, go to the the work, the church, the whatever. And I think you raise a really good point there. Uh, you also just let this out of the side of your mouth, so I'm going to follow up with it. Do you think it makes any difference whether we talk to people about the benefits of breastfeeding or the risks of formula feeding? Um, what I really think about that is that when we talk about the risks and benefits, we're really using a very narrow frame that puts the lens back on human milk. Uh-huh. That we have uh-huh. a we have a very narrow understanding of what we mean by risk and benefit, and basically what we mean is that um, that babies that are breastfed have um, less health problems or that babies that are formula fed have more health problems right but what what would be a better strategy is to is to break out that box and expand our understanding of risks and benefits to include social risks to the caregiver and I think this is another point that a lot of feminist writers are making is that when women make decisions about the choices for that are the best options for them and their families they're not just considering the the qualities or the benefits of the good milk, right? They're also looking at the other things that are going on in their lives and they're weighing some of the risks and benefits to them. So if I go to work and I'm trying to breastfeed, how am I going to be perceived? Is this a risky situation for me Um, at work? Will my boss or my coworkers not understand? If I go out into the public and try to breastfeed there, am I going to be asked to leave? Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to uh, feel vulnerable in public spaces? Um, so there's a lot of things that go into the risk-benefit calculation in women's lives that have nothing to do with the risk or benefits of the milk. Actually, I think you just totally hit it because we're still back to the good milk, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. And, and so let's let's move away from the good milk and think about the the, the yeah the lactating body and women's needs and and the care as as caregivers. Wow, I got to tell you, I'm taking a step back because I guess I've never really quite thought out of that particular box. So you've challenged me today, Paige, and I'm I'm liking this a lot. Okay. So so tell me this. if I advocate for breastfeeding and I encourage mothers to breastfeed, which of course I do, and there's all, there's always someone out there who says that I'm going to make the mother feel guilty if she doesn't breastfeed. Now, personally, I think that's baloney. I don't think that I can bestow any feeling, good or bad, onto another human being. Uh, what do you say about this? Well, I would say that um, if people that. People can make the decision that they think is best for them. And that where guilt really comes in is when the woman starts to breastfeed because she thinks it's best for her baby. And then she fails. Right. And so then there's this uh, tendency that we have to internalize this failure. And to make ourselves feel like we were failures, we've been a failed mother. And then, unfortunately, sometimes other people say things like that, which they, of course, should not be doing. Sure. Um, and so what would be most helpful, I think, for all of us is to take the lens off of the individual woman and see her as failing and see the society as failing her. Um, and, you know, it's been said That's that if, if, we had been, if we had designed a, a system that, that was 
purposefully designed to make it difficult for women to breastfeed, we would probably not have anything different than what we have right now. You know, okay. we force people to go back to work early or they want need to go back to work early without uh, paid maternity leave. Uh, many women don't have the supports they need in the workplace. Many people work more than one job. Um, we make it difficult and people feel uncomfortable still breastfeeding in public. Um, caregiving is is somewhat devalued in our society relative That's to paid true. labor. That's true. Um, we don't really see the value of it that, you know, we don't see it all together as choice worthy like we have discussed earlier. Um, some women feel... Um, vulnerable because it's, it's we associate women's breasts with sexuality and so they're very concerned about that. We have healthcare systems that are giving people mixed messages. Definitely. Um, we have make it difficult for people to get um, and but well, there's increasingly some um, efforts made to make lactation consulting more affordable. Um, we have family members that don't really support breastfeeding women. So there's a whole lot of things out there that just make it challenging and make it difficult. And those are the types of things that we think of as the constraints mm. on breastfeeding. Other people might refer to these as booby traps. <laughs> um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> right. And so if, if the concern is really about um, preventing women from feeling guilty, then what we really want to do is take the lens again off the individual woman and look on to the society. Look at the systems that are in place for her as she goes about her business of living her life. I want to go beyond the feeding issue a little bit, or at least beyond the baby feeding issue a little bit. Don't you think that you feel a little guilty when, uh, I don't know, I shouldn't put this on you, but I'm thinking, for instance, that today my husband is home by himself. He's at work, but he will come home. There won't be anything in the refrigerator. There won't be anything in the freezer because I didn't leave anything in the freezer for him. And he's going to have to kind of fend for himself. And I always feel like a lesser wife when I haven't provided food. From that standpoint of what women feel responsible for, don't you think that's a part of it? Um. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> well, I think we all feel, you know, that that we don't we're not perfect, right? That we don't always live up to somebody else's expectations of what we should be doing. And I I think that early on this was one of the um main reasons that uh feminists in the seventies and eighties were not so supportive of breastfeeding is that there was this uh, desire to improve the status of women, right? That that we really wanted to reduce gender inequality and improve the status of women. And that two ways of doing that were to get women into the workforce, get women earning their own income, and to reduce the primary role of mothering and encourage fathers to also care for children. Uh-huh. So we've done a much better job with the former, um, yes. than we've done with the latter. So we do see more and more women working and run for president, um, but we see not so many men has taking the primary responsibility for caregiving or taking care of the children and not calling it babysitting, right? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea that if it's your own child, you're not babysitting, you're actually parenting. Hey, everybody, don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. Mm-hmm. 
Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Paige Hall-Smith. Paige, talk to us a little bit about something that we hear so often in this society. Breastfeeding ties you down. Breastfeeding ties you down. And the implication there is really about constraint. Is breastfeeding a constraint for the mother, for the woman? Um. I think that breastfeeding, if we take the viewpoint that Chris Mulford took, um, that it is extreme caregiving. It is a form of caregiving that requires women to be with babies. 
right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly if they're not going to, if, if they want to meet the demands of lactation, it's important that they be with babies. And one of the things that happens in our society is that we've made a lot of progress in terms of having more baby-friendly hospitals, in terms of having more lactation consultants and um, having more, more workplaces. documents, yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the things that we still have a struggle with in our country is this challenge that we face then that in order to have, uh, that women need to be with babies in order to breastfeed and that being with babies undermines women's status. And the, so this is a tension. Um, and so I, again, want to go back to the idea that, that it is caregiving that needs, and we don't value caregiving so much in our society. So to that extent, it is more of a constraint than, say, formula feeding when you just go down to the grocery store, pick up, you know, some six-pack of formula and feed it to the baby. I mean, it's not that easy. Breastfeeding is not as easy as that. Right. So, and I think it would be... Um, and we can't get away from the fact that it's something that involves women's bodies and being with babies. And so, we, again, I want to have us think about what would society look like if the caregiver had everything she needed? If the lactating body was as well accepted in all public spaces as the male body uh, or the female body that's not lactating, that there was no inequalities there. Um, and what do caregivers need in order to fully function uh, in the world? And so I think that's what we really need to now start thinking about. Um, one of the things that we do know is that women who have higher status in our society are more likely to breastfeed. So historically, feminists were very concerned that breastfeeding would actually reduce women's status but what we now find is that women with higher status are more likely to breastfeed and they breastfeed longer. Yes. And what I mean by that is women who have more income, yes. they're more likely to be married, they have higher education. Yeah. And I've done an analysis that even looked at this at the state level, that states where women generally have higher status have more breastfeeding. Well, we have to ask ourselves why that is the case. And why is that the case? Well, the conclusion that I've come to is that in order to fully breastfeed or breastfeed as long as you would like to, and in particularly exclusive breastfeeding in our society, it really requires that the woman have control, that she has control over her body, she has control over her workplace, she has more control over her life. And so if you have more control, then you can manipulate the situation, you can make your life more flexible than you can if you have uh, less control. So flexibility is an important piece here. Um, I'm thinking about something as simple as if you have more education and you're making more money, you might have an office as opposed to being in a uh, uh, McDonald's or something. Absolutely. Yes. You know, if you have a private office, then you can shut the door and then you can pump, right? Um, We've certainly made it easier for women to pump than we've made it easier for women to breastfeed. Breastfeed. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And I think that's partly because, again, we've been focusing on the milk and how do we get the milk there? Um, How do we get the milk out of the body to feed it to the baby as opposed to thinking about what the woman needs as a caregiver? So, um, but again, this flexibility is really important and having control and so one of the things that's happening right now, and it's a very unfortunate thing, and it's something many people are concerned about, is that 
the failure of our society to fully support breastfeeding mothers means that breastfeeding is could be seen as a privilege. That if that um, white women are much more likely to breastfeed than African American women. True. And that there are more constraints based on income and education. And that what we need to fully do is, I think, increase the status of women. I think fundamentally improving the status of women is something that will actually help um, with our breastfeeding rates. And then also to think about the needs of the vulnerable women. Um, And I know that Kathy Carruthers and others have been doing a lot of work on how do we actually – help women breastfeed that are in non-traditional workplaces. Yes. People yes. that are in the that are out, work outside, they're fire fire women <laughs> um, working fire departments or they're in many different kinds of places and um, to think outside the box and start thinking more about uh, the needs of women as caregivers and less about how do we get the milk out of the body. Yeah, I, I think you're really onto something with this milk thing. Tell me this, what is the value of breastfeeding? Well, if we think about breastfeeding as a food, then we know that it has these health benefits. Um, But another way to think about it is uh, also, again, thinking about it as a food is that it's the first slow food, right? That um, the environmental cost of infant formula is very, very high. Um, In in order to produce formula, you have to have the cow's milk, you have to have dairy processing, you have to formula production, transportation storage, then consumer preparation. I mean, it has a high carbon footprint. So so in that way, it's it's valuable in that it has a much lower carbon footprint. and again, I think that another way of thinking about it, and these are some of the things that we've talked about, is that it's pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Breastfeeding can be a pleasure for women. Um, it feels nice. It's an, it helps. It, many women love the intimacy that it brings to their relationship with their child, and that is something that we would lose if, um, if we just lost breastfeeding in our society. And I think, again, that it would be, it's a form of caring, that we would lose in our society. And I think that that loss would be uh, very sad for us. Um, we would lose that nurturing. I think it would virtually change society. Right. It, it just seems to me like that is so fund- fundamental. I frequently re- will remind people that when Carolus Linnaeus was naming uh, the genus, the species, the family, and so forth, and he looked at the class of mammals and named them for their breasts, the mammary gland, or, you know, mammals. And uh, as I hear you talking, I'm just thinking, oh, my, there's just so much there that could unravel. And that is a hugely, hugely important perspective that you brought to us. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. But before we sign off, I'd like to thank Paige Hall-Smith for joining us today. Paige, thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. I'd like to invite you back next week as well. Now, if you're interested in Paige's book or other media that was mentioned on this show or even in previous shows, visit our Amazon affiliate store. Just visit us at, here's the website, borntobebreastfed.com. You will see the book. It will be featured this week. Again, that's borntobebreastfed.com for books and media or for my blog or whatever you happen to be listening to or interested in. Check out our Facebook page. Feel free to leave a question for Paige or for me or for any of our guests 
And by the way, if you're on our Facebook page, please do remember to like us while you're there. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for a continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are all at my professional website. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, that's breastfeedingoutlook.com. And certainly I'm happy for you to visit on either website, but usually parents or professionals have a preference there. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.